tonight we're going to be looking at a very well-known passage from the Bible. We're going to see how there are two ways that a person can be lost. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, and in this passage we will see God's heart for the lost. We will see how God cares for the lost people of this world, and how he resolves the problem to the two types of lostness that we will find in this passage. So let's turn together to Luke chapter 15 starting from verse 11, reading to 32. Now, as we look at this passage, and because it is very well known, let's try come with it, come at it with fresh eyes. Let's look at it as if it was for the first time, so we're all on the same page. Starting from verse 11 of Luke 15. And he, Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As we read this passage, we are confronted with a vast range of emotions. We see rebellion, disrespect, dishonor. We see anger, rebuke, and confusion. But more importantly, we see love, we see kindness, and we see forgiveness beyond measure. Just to give a bit of context to this passage, if we look back at uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, we see who this parable is addressed to. It says, "Now Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, referring to Jesus, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. 
So Jesus was sitting with tax collectors and with sinners, and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of their day, were grumbling about it. And so Jesus told them three parables. Two of them Simon already explained to us last week. And as he explained, the sinners and tax collectors means that Jesus was sitting with people who, in the Pharisees' eyes, he shouldn't have been. He was sitting with the beggars. He was sitting with the prostitutes and with the people who weren't in weekly attendance to the synagogue. He was sitting with people who identified themselves as being Jewish, but it never affected their lives. And then on the other hand, we have the Pharisees, the godly people, who had devoted every waking minute of their lives to the law. The people who made sure that they were living in a way that was seen to be good and holy. Or so they thought. The Pharisees had prided themselves with being separate from the sinners. Because they were righteous and godly, but the sinners weren't. So they grumbled because Jesus' message was to come and seek and save the lost. They were upset that Jesus was associating himself with sinners and spending time with them because that is exactly what they weren't doing. So let's look at the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son as we know, and let's see what Jesus is saying to this crowd. If you look on the inside of your service sheets, um, you'll see an outline which will help you follow along, and it will also be helpful for us to understand the passage a bit better. So let's have a look at our first point for this evening, which I've called the first lost son in verses 11 to 16. Now, it's quite evident from the passage that this son is lost. I don't need to spend much time trying to explain or convince you that this son is being rebellious and very disrespectful. In verse 11, we're told that a father had two sons. So let's see the first thing we see this younger son doing in verse 12. The younger son goes to his father and says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So the son asks for his inheritance. Now, to us, this might not seem that bad. He's just asking for what's rightfully his anyway. And the English translation doesn't actually bring it out that well, but this son is showing the biggest disrespect ever to his father. He is basically saying, Dad, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You are dead to me. Give me what is mine and let me walk away. Leave me alone. The son is wishing death on his father. And according to the culture of this part of the world at this period of time, this is atrocious behavior. The father was the head of the house. What he said goes, and the family always had to honor and respect the father. But then this... What the son asks is absolutely terrible. He's spitting in his father's face. How would you feel if your child came up to you and you'd looked after them their whole lives? You put them through school, you put them through university, and when they finished university, you paid their rent, their food, and their student fees right the way up till they finished their PhD. And then just after they finished their viva, they come to you and say, well, you haven't really helped me out that much. We're done. I'm leaving. Give me what is mine. And I never want to see you again. It's heartbreaking. But that is exactly what we see here. We see a son refusing to acknowledge the relationship that he has to his father who's already given him so many wonderful gifts. Imagine how you would feel if that was your child. And then to top it all off, they fly to Vegas. And they spend all their money on slot machines and a party lifestyle because that is exactly what this son does in verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So not only did he take what wasn't actually his, not only did this son wish death on his father, but he went and threw it all away. See, this rebellious son took all the good things that his father had lovingly provided for him, and he twisted them and used them for his own bad purposes. He used the good gifts of the father to pursue a life of rebellion and sin. We find out later on in verse 30 that he even squandered his money on prostitutes. Now, none of these facts that Jesus is, is telling us about the son would make the first hearers, or, or us for that matter, actually like this guy. He's rejected his father, he's living recklessly, and he's not being the son he should be. And what is the result of this reckless lifestyle? Verses 14 to 16 give us a bleak picture. He's starving. He has no money. He has even had to hire himself out as a servant to a stranger. And not only that, but he's working with pigs. Now, every Jew would have known that the Old Testament says that pigs were unclean and no Jew should work with them and touch them. So all of these details put together make the first hearers of Jesus' story really dislike this guy. And the moralists of Jesus' day would have been expecting Jesus to say, okay, that's it. Story stops here. That's the takeaway. Don't disrespect your family. Don't be reckless with your money. And don't associate with unclean things because this is what will happen to you. You'll hit rock bottom. They were expecting a moral story. They were expecting the story to stop there in verse 16 where the son is lost in his sin, starving as a result of sinful living, and stuck in the mud with pigs. But we see that the verse continues in verse 17, and the son came to himself, meaning that he came to his senses. But notice what it is in verse 17 that actually makes him come to his senses. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? See, it's the character and conduct of the father that makes this son realize how far he has gone. The son looks around, sees the mess that he's gotten himself into, and he remembers the goodness of his father, and he decides to return home. Now, with this realization of sin and realization of the character of the father, this son begins his road to repentance. The son is going to ask, go back to the father and plead his case. He's going to be asked to be taken in as a servant because he no longer deserves the status of a son in that family. And it's interesting to notice that in verse 18, the son says that he sinned against God and against his father. He sinned against his earthly father by taking the good gifts that he'd given him and twisted them for his rebellion and sin. But he sinned against his heavenly father because he disrespected his earthly father. Now, in this parable, Jesus uses each character as an example or illustration of a particular person or a particular group of people. Jesus is using this first son as an illustration of sinners, people who have obviously done wrong and rebelled against God. Now, we might think that only really bad people are given the title of sinners, and you have to have done something terribly wrong to be, given, to be called a sinner. But we don't have to hit rock bottom to realize that we're lost. The life of sin that this son led, yes, is an extreme, but not every rebellious son goes that far. Like this son, I too was rebellious. I rejected God and lived my own way. 
And like this son, I tried to find satisfaction in my own life of rejecting God. But it didn't work. This son shows us, this parable shows us that you don't have to hit rock bottom before you realize you're lost. You can be wealthy, you can have a good job, and you can be just as lost as this son is. The difference is that some people, like this son, have looked at their lives. They've looked at God, our Heavenly Father, and they've come to repentance. They have understood their rebellion towards God and have asked for forgiveness. And they've found it just like this son did. But we'll come to that a little bit later on. So the question and example that this first son gives us and gives you if you would say that you are lost and you know that you're living in rebellion against God is, will you look at your life? Will you look at God and realize that you've rejected him? Will you, like this rebellious son, come to your senses and think about God, repent and turn to him to find the forgiveness of a loving father? But it was easy to see how the first son was lost and how he had rebelled, and it was easy to conclude that he was lost. But if we look at the second son, it maybe isn't, that e- it isn't an easy conclusion to draw that he's lost. So let's look at our second point for tonight, the second lost son in verses 25 to 32. So we're introduced to the son in verse 25, where it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So the older, son, the older son had stayed home, and he had continued to work for his father. So he wasn't really lost, was he? Well, <laughs> yes, he was. The older brother hears the sounds and music of a party um, because of the return of his younger brother is being celebrated. So he asks the servant what's going on, and the servant says, your younger brother is back, and because your father is so gracious, he's killed a fattened calf to celebrate, and everybody is there. So now the fattened calf would have been enough to feed the whole village. So the whole village would have been there to see the scene that unfolds before us. Everybody would have been there to celebrate the return of the lost son with the father and his brother. But look in verse 28. The son is angry that the younger brother has returned. The son is angry that the younger brother is accepted back. And in his anger, the older brother disrespects the father. And the whole village would have been there to see it. The father comes out to the older brother to try to bring him in to celebrate, to join in and rejoice that his younger brother was found. But look at the words that this compassionate, kind and loving father is met with from the older son in verse 29. He says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he says, Son of yours, not brother. He's distancing himself. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Can you feel the anger in his words? It's starting to become a little bit easier to see how lost this son is, isn't it? This son is just as lost as the first because, yes, he lived with the father. He lived the good life. And yet, even though all of this was at his fingertips. All of the father's goodness was right in front of him. He didn't reach out. He could have been just as close to the father as the first son was when he returned. He could have been forgiven and been in perfect relationship with him, but he wasn't. He was distant from the father's heart and he was lost. 
And this son was furious because the father forgave his younger rebellious brother. He's furious because the father was looking in the first place. Why was the father looking and why hadn't he forgotten about the younger brother just like the older son has? He's furious. But why is Jesus telling us this? Remember that this whole parable is a rebuke to the Pharisees who'd separated themselves from the world. They'd prided themselves with doing what they thought was God's work. They'd cut themselves off. This older brother is a rebuke to them. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you've got it all wrong. You've misunderstood God's whole plan, God's heart and God's desire because that is to seek and save the lost, which is exactly why Jesus came and is exactly what the Pharisees weren't doing. They refused to seek sinners. They refused to sit and eat with them and they grumbled. See, the Pharisees had made themselves into a small holy huddle who could tell you endless amount of memorized Bible passages, who could retell every law in the Old Testament, and who could talk to you for hours on end about sin, sacrifices, and the religious history of Israel. But none of it got to their hearts. They were just like the older brother. They were furious that Jesus was mixing with the wrong crowd. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They thought that they deserved Jesus' attention, not the sinners. They were the ones who'd, who dedicated their lives to God. And that is why they're grumbling in verse 2, because they hadn't understood God. They hadn't understood that God cared for the younger brothers of this world. They hadn't understood that forgiveness was for sinners. And they hadn't understood their responsibility of seeking out sinners and spreading the news of God. Now we can easily sit here and in our minds be thinking, how can the Pharisees be so cruel? They had such good news, but they're cutting themselves off from the world. How can they do such a thing? Well, let me tell you that this same attitude of the Pharisees lives on in the church today. It's so easy for the church to become a holy huddle where we only focus in on ourselves. It's so easy for us to stick to the people who are like us because that way we feel comfortable. We don't like feeling uncomfortable. But that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not God's desire. God's desire is to seek and save the lost. And that is why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus in to seek and save the lost into this world. And we've been tasked to go to the people of this world and tell them the message of Jesus. For us, that means we have to leave our buildings and go meet people where they are. We have to take the good news of Jesus to them. Now, this is challenging. How much of our time do we spend with non-Christians? How much, do we spend, how much time do we spend praying for the rebellious brothers of this world or of this city? Have we become like the Pharisees? This passage is a huge challenge for us as Christians because if we have drifted from the heart of God, then this parable is telling us that we are just as lost as the first son. Now that is a strong rebuke and it's not something that we should just skim over lightly. But we really need to question ourselves. Do we rejoice when we hear about people coming to faith in Jesus? Do we rejoice and celebrate with people when we hear that somebody finds forgiveness from God? If we don't, then we, like the Pharisees, have become distant from God. Have we separated ourselves from the world and have we misunderstood God and his desire for the lost people of this world? 
But the ending of this parable is interesting. See, the father explains to the son in verse 32 that it was, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father explains that the celebration was worth it and Jesus leaves the parable open. We don't know what the Pharisees did, but this open end means that Jesus left them with the decision. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you've missed the point. You haven't understood God and his desire for rebellious people. And Jesus leaving the parable open means that the forgiveness that is so worth celebrating is open to the Pharisees as well. They can repent and just like the younger rebellious brother can be restored to God and forgiven, but they need to repent. They need to ask for forgiveness and turn from their ways and live according to the heart of the Father. And the question for, for us tonight, if we're Christians who, like the Pharisees, have lost our sight of rebellious people, if we have drifted from the heart of God, the question is, will you draw near to God again? And will you find the forgiveness that he willingly offers to you as well? This brings us to our third and, and final point for this evening, the forgiving father, verses 17 to 25. So we've seen two kinds of lost. That of a rebellious son who walked away and spat in his father's face. And that of a son who stayed at home, but whose heart was distant from his father's. But let's see how Jesus solves both of these. Let's see how Jesus solves the problem that both of these sons needed. Let's see how the father is forgiving. If we remember back to verse 17 with the first son, it's the character of the father that made him come to his senses. But let's look at the passage and see what it reveals about the father. We first meet him in verse 12, when he just obeys his rebellious son and divides up his property so that he can take his inheritance. Now, this wouldn't have made the first hearers fond of this father. He gave the son everything he had. He brought him up and now the son spits in his face face and the father just lets him go without punishment. He wishes death on him and the father just lets him walk away. We meet the father again in verse 20. And in verse 20 it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, the father filled with compassion throws all the cultural norms out of the window and legs it to meet his son. We need to understand that in this part of the world, it wouldn't have been normal for a first century person to do this. Men didn't run full stop. Because for men to run, they would have had to gather up their tunic in their hands and run, which was seen as childish, so it just wasn't done. But this forgiving father throws all of that out the window because his son is home. And he sees him at a distance, meaning that he's been looking for him all this time. And he greets him with overflowing love and joy. But as the son is being hugged, he begins the speech that he rehearsed. In verse 21, it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's disappointed. <laughs> but the father cuts him off. Instead of the father listening to the rest of his son's rehearsed speech, he orders the best robe, ring, and shoes be brought for him. The robe that would have been brought and placed on the son would have belonged to the father. It would have been his best robe, kind of the tuxedo equivalent of today. 
And the father orders it be put on his son, who, by the way, hadn't washed yet. So we would have still smelled of that lovely smell that we all have after traveling a long distance. And he would have smelled like the pigs that he was previously feeding. Now, I've, perp- I've worked with pigs before, and trust me, it's not a smell you want on your best clothes. You don't even want it on your dirty clothes. So yeah. But nevertheless, the father orders all of these gifts to be put on his son. And the ring was probably a signet ring showing that the son was part of the father's household again. In verse 21, the son says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father is basically saying, yeah, I know, but I am making you worthy again. See, the son wasn't and isn't worthy of such great forgiveness, but this father made him worthy by accepting him and forgiving him. With the second lost son, the father is just as gracious and willing to forgive. Remember, the second lost son is just as lost as the first, and he disrespects his father immensely. He rebukes the father for being so forgiving. But the father, instead of punishing him, instead of telling him how wrong he really is, the father, with love and compassion, explains that what he did was worth it. The celebration was worth it. The father says in verse 31, Son, you have always been with me. You've always been near me, but you are still lost. The father is explaining that the forgiveness that the younger son received and the good things that were given to him were always there and open for the older son. But he needed to ask for them. He needed to receive them from the father. Now the father is gracious and willing to forgive the older son if he asks for forgiveness, like the younger son did, repents and turns from his life of sin and comes to the father just to find out how forgiving he really is. What does this whole parable mean? Well, the Father is an illustration of God, our Heavenly Father. And the sons represent the lost people of this world. People who wholeheartedly know that they are lost. And people who think that they're safe, but in their religiosity have forgotten God. The key to this parable is to see how the Father interacts with both of his lost sons. He offers them both forgiveness. Now, what does this mean for us in relation to God? Well, often as Christians, we can look at this parable and this well-known story and be happy because it explains the gospel. But the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ is so much better than this story. Because when we were still sinners, God sent Jesus into this world for us. God wasn't sitting off at a distance waiting for us, his rebellious children, to come home. But he sent Jesus Christ, his son, into the pigsty for us. Jesus came to earth to seek and save the lost, meaning that he met them where they were. And this is the amazing message that we as Christians get to share with people. And what does it mean for you if you wouldn't say that you're a Christian? This means that the Father's desire is for you to return home. He wants you in his family. One of the many objections that stops people coming to God and asking for forgiveness is the thought that God would never accept them. They say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been like. God would never want anybody like me. Well, if that's you this evening, let me just tell you that this parable proves that to be false. This parable shows that no matter how far you have gone, no matter what you have done, no matter how much you've sinned against God, if you truly repent and turn to him, 
you will see how forgiving he is and he will accept you as a son and daughter into his family. That is the wonderful news of the gospel. Why be lost when God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost? Why be lost when you can be found? And why be dead when we can be alive in Jesus? This parable shows us three types of people. The rebellious type who knows wholeheartedly that they are lost. And all they need to do is look at God's character, see that he is loving and kind and willing to forgive them. It also shows us the good guy type of person who's been in church their whole lives, who can say and do the right things and look perfectly good and religious on the outside, but their hearts are not in step with God's and they are just as lost as the first son. They've become satisfied in their Christian bubble and this person is lost. But then the final type of person can be seen in the storytelling in Jesus. This is someone whose heart is in line with God's. They are aware of the two kinds of lost people around them and it hurts to see people lost. If this is you, if this is your heart, what encouragement can you take from this parable? Well, if you're here and you share the heart of God for the lost, if you're here and your desire is to see people find forgiveness from God, the huge encouragement for you is that God is on your side. As you sit and you pray for those family members and friends who are lost, as you pray for them daily and you ask that God would work in their lives, as you cry for them and the lost people here in Edinburgh, you can take courage because that is exactly what God wants too. You're not praying to a distant or indifferent God, but we pray to the God of forgiveness, of love and of grace, who's willing to forgive all who turn to him. So the encouragement for you this evening is that God is on your side, so you can be encouraged and built up in your prayers. But the ultimate question that we need to ask ourselves is, can we rejoice and say that we were once dead, but we're now alive? Can we say that we were lost, but we're now found. If we cannot say yes, if we cannot say that we've met God and his forgiveness with humility and with repentance, the question remains, is will you? Because God is willing to forgive and he's already made the way for you to be forgiven. He is abundant in grace and in mercy to all who repent and call on his name. God has done his part. Jesus has already paid the price on the cross Will you accept him and the forgiveness that he offers to all of us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. We thank you that you know our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would look into our hearts and that you would show us who we really are. If we are lost in our rebellion, Lord, please call us back. If we are lost in our rebellion, make the desires of of your heart the desires of ours too. And if we are discouraged by how lost people are, help us remember that that you desire for people to be found. And you want people to find life in you. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you and your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.